I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I was fascinated by all parts of show business. Hello and welcome to episode number 26 of Varvet International. My name is Christoph Triumph and if you are listening for the very first time, I'd like to give you an extra warm welcome on board. You might be wondering what to expect in this podcast and in short, I can tell you it's long-form interviews conducted by me, a Swedish podcast host based in Sweden but oftentimes traveling to the U.S., or Great Britain to collect interviews and one of those will poke your eardrums in a minute or three. The guests are for the most part in the entertainment industry and will discuss stuff like motivation, work process and well life I guess. You'll catch the drift I'm sure. Before I'll let you try, I want to tell you that Varvet is sponsored by Uber, the new way of getting around in over 200 cities around the globe. And this podcast has a collaboration with the Swedish branch of Uber. So if you're in Stockholm or Gothenburg and still haven't tried Uber, you most definitely should do that now. Because if you sign up and use Varvet as a promo code, you will get 150 Swedish kronor to ride around for. I'll repeat, sign up now and use Varvet as a code. You'll get 150 Swedish kronor to Uber for in Sweden. That's a great deal, so please do that. And uh, thanks, Uber. Okay, today's guest of honor is Eliana Douglas, famous actress with an extremely impressive resume. We'll talk more about her long career in a bit, but uh, I'll drop a few of her movies just to remind you. She was in Goodfellas, Cape Fear, of course. She was in Ghost World and in the Larry Sanders show, Ugly Betty, and about a hundred or so other movies and TV shows. Nowadays, she also stars in Greg Polar's, yes, you know him from Varvet International, episode number 23, in Gary's TV series, Welcome to Sweden. And for listeners in Sweden, this, that series is on now on TV4 here and will reach NBC on July 19 in the U. US. We'll get to this in a bit, but Ileana also did a web series for IKEA for several years. She came to my temporary apartment in LA on a very sunny day in March, and we had a lovely time, as you'll hear in an instant. So it's time to ask my editor, Lovisa, to roll the tape, please. How are you today? I'm very well. It's nice to be here. 
Could you describe the neighborhood that we are in? Are you familiar with it? This neighborhood is called Beverly Hills Adjacent. Okay. <laughs> meaning you're, meaning uh, you're on the wrong side of Beverly Hills. Okay. You're not in the right side. So it's you should be. If you were north of here, you'd be in a pretty posh neighborhood. Okay. So But you're south, so you're not. Mm. <laughs> I should be up on the hill, even. Yes, you're okay. living on the wrong side of um, of Sunset. If you live north of Sunset, you'd be in a very posh area, where all all the movie stars live. Do you have an accent? Do you think an American accent? Exactly. Or? Yeah. I don't feel that I do. I'm from the East Coast. Yes. So I have a slight accent. I would say that it's sort of a New Yorkish accent. People think that. I I, uh, I spent a lot of time in New York, but then I also have uh, East Coast. I've got three states mixed in. Got a little bit of Boston and a little bit of New York. If you would exaggerate, just so <laughs> I understand, how is a Bostonian accent? A Boston accents like that, it's very like in the back back of your throat, talking oh. like that. Okay. And then New York is more like in the front of your mouth, like talking like that. And then um, I spent also a lot of time in Connecticut, and that's like a lot of lock lock jaw, a lot of talking like that. Very upper upper class. Okay. Very very white. Live in a very wealthy neighborhood. So I have all three. My mouth is moving all the. I'm 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 going like that, and then I go like that, and then. Is there a Los Angeles accent as well? No, I don't think there is. No, I think they call it just a mid. I don't know why, but just a mid Atlantic, just a very straight, no accent. Okay. I know pe- uh, people now. Where are you from? Are you from Stockholm? Sort of, yeah, close to. So Stockholm people, I notice a little bit of an accent. Stockholm is sort of like New York, little also more lower. People from Stockholm. Ja, det kan vara rätt. Man låter liksom lite grann så här. Yes, sounds very stock. And then, yeah. and then if you're from the the north, it goes a little, sounds a little higher. Hur pratar man i Norrland då? Jo, då pratar man så här. This is north mm. of Sweden. Seems yeah. to go slightly higher, and then you get into the city. And it gets a little lower. Yeah, and and the, in the south of Sweden, it's a really long country, you know. Yeah. In the south of Sweden, they speak like this. Jag kommer från Malmö. Hur är det med dig? Vad har du gjort idag, Eliana? Kul att se dig. Vad gör du för något? I like that. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love Sweden, so I'm. I know. What is it with you in Sweden? I know it's got it's gone on many years. That's why I was like, finally, I'm, I'm actually doing. I think I've I just visualized it enough times. I didn't know anything about Sweden, and then uh, a number of years ago, I started doing a show that uh, sponsored by IKEA. I started doing a web series. Yeah. And everybody I worked with was Swedish. You know, all my executives. And uh, all the people at IKEA, they were all Swedish, and they were everybody was incredibly nice to me. And I started learning more and more about the culture and watching Swedish films. And I just thought that the culture was really interesting and fascinating. The mm. people seemed interesting. And then, um, you know, I never met a Swede that was in a bad mood or that yelled or. I just thought it was really fascinating. Have you still tried? Never. Okay. Yeah, that's my, all of my dreams have have maintained. Because then, I needed Swedish actors on my 
television show, easy to assemble. And so I was talking to a Swedish agent who knew Josephine Bornbosch. And we were trying to get her on our show, but it didn't work out. And then I said, you know, if a show ever comes up in Sweden, I'd love to to go there. And then this show came up. And then I went and worked in Sweden, and it was weird. It was like, it was actually better than I had portrayed it on the show. I could not believe how nice everybody was. There was a dinner every night. Everybody was... I felt more at home there than I did in America. But the first time you were in Sweden, that was in the summer, right? I arrived. It was like a joke. I arrived on the longest day, on the you know summer solstice day. So it was M- arriving. Yes, and I arrived at the hotel, and I was delirious. And then they, you know, took me out to the country, and everyone's dancing. I mean, it just seemed like it seemed kooky. It was. Uh, and then we went back into the city, and then uh, I think we all went out drinking all night. And it was complete, you know, obviously, you know, there was no, never got dark. No, no. So it's like, it's like midnight, and you're like, what time is it, four? And it's like, no, it's one o'clock in the morning. Hmm. So we were still out. And uh, so the first couple of days I was there, I didn't sleep at all. But everybody was so incredibly nice to me, I could not believe it. I was getting invitations for sightseeing and buying food and licorice. I mean, it was great. Do you like licorice? I'm, I love licorice. It's another... That was... the other. They, you know, in America, we take pictures of food that's, that has not translated to Sweden. So they thought that was one of the weirdest things. I was in the supermarket, and I took a picture of all the licorice. Because I've never seen... There's like a hundred types of licorice in the supermarket. And yeah. to a Swede, of course, they're like, yeah, so... So what? But to me, I've never. I mean, there is only there's like two types of licorice in America. I know. That's it. Shame on you, America. Yes. For for us licorice lovers. Yes. Yeah. What is the obsession? Like Fifty varieties: chocolate covered, salty, not salty, absolutely hot. Yeah, I have a theory that it has to do something with what you lack physically, like. That it, it does something to us that we really need. Hmm. Like so, perhaps we need salt, but we eat way too much salt in Sweden. But yeah, something like that. I don't know, but there's um, and I'm I'm a I love licorice and different flavors. I mean, we, we could spend an hour talking about that. And they used to sell licorice at IKEA, but it was very controversial because they took away all the Swedish foods, and then the Swedes couldn't get there licorice fix anymore oh okay and they still don't sell no they really reduced uh i don't work with ikea anymore so i can't be a spokesperson but uh yeah they took it was very controversial when they took out the big food section they they serve a few things now just like the meatballs and the bread and you know the cracker the flat gigantic flat cracker Yes. Yeah. Anyway, when one reads up on you, as yes. I've done, something that's sort of recurring is the fact that you were sort of almost Hollywood royalty or you were sort of born into it yes. by your grandfather. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about... Well, he was a, a pretty famous actor, Melvin Douglas, mm. and a two-time Academy Award winner. Very, very handsome man. 
When he was younger, yes. I mean, I thought so too. Elegantly handsome. Exactly. As he got older. Errol Flynnish, almost. Yes, yeah. I would say. He, some people say William Powell. Okay, I don't know him, but yeah. N another sort of 1930s suave, okay. sophisticated, yeah. erudite. And elegant, but he won uh, two Oscars. This first one was for a movie called HUD with Paul Newman, and then the second one is Being There with Peter Sellers. But previously to that, he'd been in the Hollywood studio system for many years under contract at you know MGM, and was a famous you know leading man opposite Greta Garbo and uh, many other Joan Crawford, you know, on and on and on. Many people. He did three films with Greta Garbo, and uh, he just was amazing. So, you know, from when I was pretty young, so the before I even knew I wanted to be an actor, I was sort of sitting behind the scenes watching him, watching him act with pretty famous people. Yeah. So it was very exciting, and then it gave me a great love, probably of film history. Because, you know, I wanted to read about him and his career. And the more I would read about, you know, Hollywood history, it just it gave me a real love of, of, of movies. And I became a movie buff and sort of thought many for many years just about being behind the scenes and being a writer. And then but opportunities came up also to act and to be a stand up comedian and things like that. So I was always I've been I've been going back and forth mm. from being a performer to also being a writer. Back then, when you were with him at his, when he was working, was that, I mean, was since when? Well, I'd always, I'm never good with years. I just wrote a book and I was trying to remember. So I think I'm, I think I'm about like 13, 14 when I w was on my first movie set. Okay. And getting to meet people, you know, who I didn't even know how important they were, like Hal, the director, Hal Ashby and... And Peter Sellers, who, I mean, I knew Peter Sellers from as the Pink Panther, mm -hmm. but to get to meet him in person and just to kind of see, it was, it was like the Wizard of Oz. It was like seeing behind the scenes of, of how a movie was made seemed like I, I seemed unbelievable to me, watching the actors and seeing them talk and then the lights would go on and then it would act. It was very surreal. You know, and then I watch people, and then his, the next movie he took me on, which was called uh, Ghost Story, it's the same thing. I was watching Fred Astaire in movies, and then there's Fred Astaire, and he's like really, really old. And <laughs> it's, like, it's, a, it's a very jarring kind of experience because I, I wanted to talk so much to Fred Astaire and ask him all these questions, but yet. You know, I had respect for him. I knew he was acting, and he was acting in the movies. And it was the same thing with my grandfather. I was developing almost like a pathological love of movies and movie stars from afar, but being too shy in real life to actually ask questions. So yeah. I've always been both a movie fan and a movie fanatic, and then, you know, also an actress myself. If you would have had the guts to ask Fred Astaire stuff, what would the first question be? Well, of course, it would have been something ridiculous, like about dancing. and Because I, I just thought he was just the greatest dancer of all time. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I was 
nursing a love of musical theater at the time and wanting to be in musical theater and also dressing like Fred Astaire. So I would have asked him, where did you get your clothes? (laughs) What kind of a cologne are you wearing? Or, you know, things like that, things that you're just fascinated about. That's a great question. You know, who was your favorite dance partner? Just things that you'd read, you know, that I had read about in books. And as I got older and I started to meet people, I've read so many movie books that I could actually prompt people on stories. You know, I'd say, I heard that, I heard this story about, (laughs) so people are always shocked that I'm able, that sometimes I'm able to draw people out because I've read so many books and I don't remember anything else except I remember things that I read so I can, I can call upon it at will while I'm talking to them. But we were talking about Cologne and Fred Astaire and I remember there was like a very, I'd read in the book, a very particular type of cologne that he used and you could only get it in london at one particular shop and so things like that i was fascinated by that is fascinating what kind of perfume do you wear i wear an it's not a perfume it's actually an oil okay so and is it's that the new thing no i've been wearing the same i i mean as influenced by some of these people i've i've i wear the same I've only worn the same thing since I was 18 years old. I moved to New York City. It's an oil, and it's called Rain, and you can only get it at one shop in the world, and it's in New York City, downtown. Okay, but you won't tell us which one. No, because I don't want anyone else to smell like, smell like me. No, they can't. They can. It's called the Fragrance Shop. Okay, all right. And it's been there, and if it ever goes out of business, I'll be in really deep trouble but this is, is yeah but it's good that you talk about it now though it's my one signature it's a tiny little shop too the little bell on the ding-a-ling-a-ling you go in it's very tiny and that's all they do there is they make these oils but it's perfect that you talk about it now because then new customers will come in there yes so you'll say, be i want to i want to smell like <laughs> Ileana douglas. douglas yeah <laughs> I did an interview just before you came. Well, I gave an interview just before you came where someone asked me what the difference between Swedes and Americans are. Hmm. What would you say? There's, to me, profound differences in that part of the reason I love Sweden is that there's a great appreciation for nature. That sounds like a little thing. That sounds silly. Like, who cares? But here, everybody is so involved with their work and their job and getting ahead that it literally gets in the way of enjoying life. And I feel like that the greatest thing that Swedes have is an ability to really appreciate each day. Maybe because there's snow on the ground. I don't know. But it's, you know, when you're there, they they seem to get more of an appreciation. I would have long conversations with Lena Olin about the bread and the bread and then we'd put the cheese and then the butter and then we could go, you know, we'd go 15 minutes just on that. But if I did that in America, they'd be, you know, they'd be like, okay, whatever. Can we talk about the, what we're going to do today? So that's why I, f- I found Swedes to be very relatable in that way. Like they do their work but they enjoy their work as they do it. And that's another thing. I think that Americans tend to be in jobs that they don't really like. Mm. And they seem to be kind of looking for the next 
better thing instead of having taking a certain amount of pride and joy in what they're doing now. I don't know if that makes sense. Well, it does, yeah. I mean, there are aspects of America that I really like. And politically, I'm not sure that I I would say that it's a good thing that you have so many, many low-wage jobs. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it does make life easier, like when somebody, that you have someone working in the restroom to sort of keep it clean and so forth, mm-hmm. or to park your car or to sweep the sidewalks. Right. We don't do that so much in Sweden because it's so expensive to employ yeah. people. And also, if you're unemployed in Sweden, you're not going to be out on the street. Right. Probably. That- well, that's at least how it's been. It's mm-hmm. getting worse. But but maybe here it's more of a life and death thing for people to keep their jobs. Mm-hmm. Because it seems they, like it. Yeah. It seems like it. I just learned about food stamps. I'm not even sure what it is, but that you still... We had that during the Second World War. <laughs> but that, that makes us sound so backwards. We had that during the world, Second World War. Yeah. No, it seems ridiculous that, again, we're in a country where people can't get food or buy food or eat food. That just doesn't... That just doesn't seem good in a culture. And you, you feel as if you wouldn't find that happening in... Um, in Sweden. And plus, you know, just the people are riding their bikes. They just seem to care more about the environment. There's many times, I hate to say it, just mechanically things seem to be, you're like, oh, what an ingenious idea. Why don't they, why don't we do that in America? You know, why do we need five, I mean, five people to do one job that seems to be, I was saying just yesterday because I was working in Las Vegas and i came back and it takes it took as long to get through the airport both ways as it would have to drive to las vegas okay yeah so i said you know when i went to sweden and i was making a joke yesterday i said when i went to sweden i got off the plane and my bags were neatly there they were everything was all lined up and orderly as if they knew we were coming Picked up our bags, ping, going through. It was so orderly. If you live in Sweden, go this way. If you're visiting, you're going this way. I was like, oh, wonderful, pleasant, marvelous. You know, coming back to America was so harrowing. Mm. And again, you just see this lack of efficiency that we have going through security. That that is, again, I would say another thing that maybe Europe and Sweden seems to have. They, they, you know, they seem to be an extremely efficient country. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. But uh, also we didn't have 9-11. I mean, it would have been perhaps different if that would have happened in Sweden. Maybe, I don't know. I, I don't know. Or they, I just think that they would have figured out a better, you know, there's great cynicism though when you're, as, when you're going through security because it really doesn't it really looks like it's more for show than actual security. Mm-hmm. Whereas you mm-hmm. go to Europe and people have, you know, they're holding guns. Like <laughs> It feels more like they could actually be doing something. Yeah. And they only have two people that look like they know what they're doing as opposed to we have 20 people that are 
talking to me about Robert De Niro, you know, like, I don't know if that's part of their security, you know, check. They're like talking to you about movies. Oh, what are you, what are you here for? And you just, you know, you're chatting and you're like, you're you're thinking we're all just pretending that we're safe, but we're not really safe. I mean, I know we're not safe anywhere anymore, but it's all based on trust. But I would say that that's one of my, another check mark for Sweden. Would you uh, consider moving there? Definitely. Uh-huh. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yes. When I got back, when I was there the second time, everybody kept saying to me, oh, you'll see when you go there in the winter, that's when you're really, then you're going to see how horrible it was. And I was like, no, it's just as good. It's just as good. <laughs> I can't believe it. This is crazy. As I said, I never ran out of talking to people. It's, it's, it's. It's strange. I just, I just relate to the culture. I guess the design. The you know, there's many, many things I could go. I, I would, I would be boring. The great sense of Swedish pride, which Americans don't. We don't really have a lot of pride in our own country. I find, which is another disturbing thing. Oh, how is that? Because I would say it's the other way around. I think we do a lot of gung ho, like we're Americans, but we don't. But we don't know about our own culture. Is what I'm saying. Is like we don't. We don't preserve films. We don't preserve movies and music and genres that we've invented and promoted, and so things like that. Food that we've invented. I you can find it again in little pockets. And again, maybe it helps that that Sweden is a smaller country. But there seems to be a again a greater pride in the in the things that they have invented or developed. Um, I was thinking that um, when this person asked me about the difference between Swedes and Americans, I also said that Swedes don't small talk. Mm-hmm. Have you found that to be yes? True? Again, again, that's another. I'm not good at small talk. I saw much better at big talk. Yeah, long talk. You said that you came with your grandfather to the film set when mm-hmm. when you were really young. And you said also that it was before you knew that you would want to pursue a career as a, an actor, but mm-hmm. actress. But when did you sort of get that idea? I spent a lot of time with uh, living with my grandparents when I was very young, and they, how come? Just because I, you know, they were we were very close, and that's I think what you did in it. Italian communities, you give away your children. No, I don't know. I don't know. They just are passed around by a lot of Italian relatives. But um, I spent a lot of time with my grandparents who were Italian, and they loved the movies, you know, again, like movie fans. And we didn't, when I was growing up, we didn't, I had sort of like a hippie upbringing, so we didn't have, tele- we didn't, we weren't allowed to watch television. We could only read books and pick up shells and, you know, things that hippies did. So consequently, when I went to my grandparents' house, you know, they had television and it was New York. So all I did was like watch TV and old, old TV shows. And I watched what my grandparents watched and everything they watched was from the 1950s or the 1960s. So I developed this idealized version also of what being an actor was. Like I thought being an actor was like you had to be a movie star. So I didn't relate so much to this idea mid-70s, late-70s that you know you could be Al Pacino or Dustin Hoffman until I kind of got into high school 
that's probably more and more when I started to think that I wanted to be an actor. But I wasn't particularly encouraged to be an actor in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I was... I really didn't know what I wanted to be, but I wanted to do something where I made a lot of money. I like, like that was my first thing was like, I want to make a lot of money, but I, but why, why was that? Because we didn't have any money growing up. Okay. And then when I would visit my grandparents, like they had a lot of money. So I was like, Oh, okay. They, there I have a television. And when I would stay with both of my, you know, with my grandparents, it just seemed like there was always, food and TV and you go to baseball games and I was like, you know, then I'd go home and we, you know, I'd be back like reading a book, holding a, a rock or a shell. So I just, just, I grew up like total opposite of what my parents wanted. Instead of wanting to be a hippie too, I wanted to be, I was like extremely materialistic. I wanted like a flashy sports car and all these things. And uh, who doesn't? I, mean. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's, I don't know what other kids, if they had, you know, wanted to do, but that's, I just, I wanted to have a lot of money and I didn't have realistic ideas of what I wanted to be because I, I would just see movies. So I was like, I want to own a yacht. Like I want to be, I want to be that girl who's got the fur and the diamonds. Like, but I didn't know. They just seemed like people that had, that had money. So, but then I started visiting my grandfather I was like oh I could be I could be an actor but nobody really encouraged me in that way so again then I thought well maybe I'll be a writer writer actor but then acting seemed to come more easily to me and it seemed to me like you'd make more money being an actor so I think that's why I, I kind of went in that direction but your parents were not at all in showbiz right no no one was a teacher yeah Yeah, they're yeah, they're both teachers and then okay. uh my well my Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Dad moved out when I was pretty young, so I didn't I didn't spend a lot of time with him. So I was mainly raised by my by my mom. Mm. And she was a teacher, you know, working teacher, single mom. We didn't have a lot of money, you know, growing up. And so she was just sort of trying to put food on the table. So me, like saying I'm going to be an actress was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> sure. I've got to, I got to go to work now. Were you the only child? No, no, no. I had, uh, had two, uh, two older brothers. Okay. But as soon as I, I could, you know, and we, there was no sort of theater environment, but again, spending more time talking to both of my grandparents, they were, it seemed like they were encouraging me going into 
being an actor, and so that's what I, that's what I eventually did. When was the first time that you sat foot on stage? Well, I the first the first job I got was actually behind. I worked at a my first job was were at a dinner theater. I was working sort of behind the scenes. I got like a little cocktail-y type job as a being a cock. I was high, I got hired as a cocktail waitress, not knowing anything about that, and was immediately like fired from that responsibility. But I was so upset that I cried and. They made me a hostess, so I could like, because that was I basically had to walk a hundred feet and sit people. So they were like, "All right, don't cry." And that's when I started watching the show and talking to the actors, and then thinking, "Okay, I'm going to go in musical theater. That's going to be my thing." Is this on Broadway? No, 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 no. This is in the sticks. This is in in the country in Connecticut. And then sadly, this this dinner theater went out of business pretty quickly. And then I saw a little thing for children's theater, a youth theater, and I auditioned for that, and that was in uh, also in Connecticut, and I got in it. So that was like a big deal for me because I was a kid; I was like 15, and so I I moved out to be in this theater. Okay. And I never really, and that was it. Like I was on my own, 15, working at this. working at this theater and then that's when I, I went straight from there to New York City to go to acting school and what did you learn there that was that was like an incredible experience because I was uh, it was a um, theater group for supposedly for inner city kids and to get in the company was very very difficult and once you were in the company you know you work five days a week 12 hours a day And you learned, not only did you learn the show and you know audition for a part, but they switched you around. So you'd be in the costume department, you'd be in the makeup department, you'd learn about the lights, so you'd learned about everything. And so I just got a lot of uh, discipline doing that. And, the, and we got a bit of uh, publicity because the, the program like really, really took off. So they had us touring kind of around performing and you know parks and they even one time they took us to a prison to perform or we performed at an old age home i mean they were really it was quite an innovative thing for the time so they we got profiled on television it was like a so it was sort of my first brush with like oh this could be this could be cool so with that i that's why i was like now i'm i'm going straight to new york i'm gonna So I went to acting school right after that. Did you ever have like another plan? No, no. I think that because you know I was delusional, like which you have to be in order to become successful. Being in this Hartford, I I talk about it quite a bit in my book because being in this program, you know, we were such a huge, huge success given that opportunity to be in these shows, to be in these musicals, and to be treated like professional performers, even though you know, we were 15, 16, and I stayed in the program for three, uh, three years, you know, they treated us like grown-ups. And as I, I was saying, like, the, sh- the shows did really well. Like, there was, 
we were profiled quite a bit and we got a lot of publicity for how successful this program was. So I think, again, I was delusional to think, oh, well, I'm already, I mean, I'm in this, I'm in the Hartford Stage Company Youth Theater. I guess you've heard of me, you know. So I had that delusion of going to New York that where I already thought I was famous. And when I then I went to acting school and I, I just, you know, I've said this quite a bit. Like, I did not do well at the first acting school I was at. Like, they didn't get me at all. So I left that acting school and then I went to another acting school. But that And that one turned out to be much, you know, better for me. But, um, I mean, although I struggled quite a bit, no, I never had a backup plan. And I even, as I said, I briefly did stand-up because... I just thought, well, I could do that. Like, I never had this feeling of, like, I can't do that. I mean, it's more as you get older, I think, that you develop all sorts of fears. But when you're younger, you know, you're just incredibly driven, I think, to make it. And I don't know the way things are now. Like, now, I don't know if people are more driven to be a celebrity. But when I was growing up, like, I was driven to be an actor because I felt I had something important to say. So, again, that's, like delusional you know yeah. i was like i gotta i gotta make it because i've got things to say and things to do and um and i was very lucky you know i found myself in in situations where i mean i certainly didn't make it overnight it took very you know very long years but i was i was always able to work and get in like get in a some theater program or I mean, I didn't. I feel the worst for people that toil for years and just don't catch a break. But for me, the biggest break I ever caught was being, in, I think, in this Hartford Stage Company Youth Theater mm. because I, as I said, I I got this big taste of success, and then I got slaughtered at acting school, and I sort of learned more how to act. But I think that I, I was. Uh, prepared for my success very much prepared because i already thought i was successful i get that with some people and i sort of can relate to that as well because i when i finally like almost 40 years in to my life when i got a little bit of fame for mm-hmm. doing this podcast mm-hmm. it was so natural to me because i i have always felt that i'm i'm supposed to do something mm-hmm. that, yeah. that, that's but, going to make the world know that i'm a genius or mm-hmm. perhaps not a genius but i no but that's a very important quality to have and i don't know i mean again because things have changed so much i never had a desire to be famous so much as I had a desire to be heard. And and I think that that's what you were saying is like, yes, you need an ego. But my ego was like, again, was like, I'm a great actor. Like people need to see me. I'm going to change people's lives. You know, like that's how I, that's how you felt. And in a way that's like kind of sweet, you know, but I never thought like, I want my picture on a magazine. Like that wasn't, that wasn't what I, what I, that wasn't part of any fantasy that no. I ever had. I mean, mo- having money was certainly a part of the fantasy. So I was like, wow, imagine getting to buy fruit. <laughs> like, that would be a big deal. You know, like I still like it. I really appreciate it to this day. I'm like, That's... I've got some fruit, but 
I two see and a half you. bananas. That's good. It's yeah. a lot. Thank you. I'm doing quite well. <laughs> When the fame came, was it sort of, did you resent it or did you welcome it? No, I, it somewhat happened overnight, even though I expected it. I was working, doing, I, you know, got small parts in, in movies. And then when I did uh, the movie Cape Fear, before it had come out, I had used to do stand-up. And there was a guy who'd seen me do stand-up. And so they had seen, in those days, you know, you would, talk shows would see in advance of the film. And then they would, you know, it'd be kind of a big deal. You'd want the actor that was going to be in the movie before, you know, coming this Friday, this movie will be out. So this booker for David Letterman, for the David Letterman show, you know, saw me. In Cape Fear, and they they saw the movie, and apparently Dave Leverman really liked the Cape Fear, and he was a huge fan of Martin Scorsese's. Marty had been on his show many times, and lo and behold, I got this call about, you know, they want you on the David Letterman show because the Booker, his name was Hank Gallo, had seen me do stand up, so he kind of convinced them that I could be a good guest, and then we did this incredibly long. He called me. And he said, listen, I think you got a shot to be on the show, but like we got to do a pre-interview and like you've got to be funny. Like you've got to really, really be, are, can, are, can you handle it? You know, can we be able to handle it? And I was like, there wasn't an ounce. I didn't have an ounce of fear of me. All I was like, no, I got to get in there. I got to get on the guy. I've got to get on the David Letterman show. I told, I was on the phone for two hours. I literally told every funny story that ever happened to me it wasn't until i mean my nerves were like after i was off the show i was like oh my god how did i do that but you know when you're in i was like no i gotta i gotta get on that show i gotta get on the david letterman show i gotta tell these funny stories you know which i did gonna make david letterman laugh you know and then the producer was like you did a great job but like riding home in the limousine i mean i was like i how did that That's when, you, to me, I always get scared later. Yeah. Because I go, I don't know how I pulled that off. And then that's when I like, I can't watch it. I can't, everyone's like, are you going to watch yourself? Or I was like, no, no, because I'll, I'll get ill. Like, then I would get nervous. Have you watched it now? No, no. I will try to see if it's possible. To <laughs> Probably not. It was a lot. I don't know. Like, sometimes with those... Uh, TV show. Well, now I can watch it because I, I can look at how... I was yeah. like, look at how cute I was. That movie must have been a huge... It was. So overnight from doing the Letterman show and, the, and then the movie came out, it was like instantaneously I became, you know, oh, you're that girl from Cape Fear because it was such a memorable scene. The thing with the... With the a cheek bite. Yeah. Contra con again, bringing it back to Sweden. Yeah. Very, as I learned recently controversial in Sweden. The scene was edited out for, ah. because it was considered to be too violent. Yeah, yeah. I just learned that okay. from <laughs> when I went to visit the Swedish Film Institute. I, it was like, yeah. they, they thought it was like oh, too violent and they cut that scene out. And then, you know, I got a succession of movies and so I was pretty lucky after that just to keep working. Since then, I guess, you've had like a pretty amazing career, right? I don't know if I would call it amazing. I think it's amazing that I've, you know, that I've always worked. And that's the important thing for me is just to be, just to keep working. 
and I've done a variety of things, which is what I've wanted to do. I've mm. been able to to write and direct, and I know that starting out, you know, I didn't I didn't think about oh, this is I'm going to do this because it's going to be a good career choice. I usually chose something. I mean, I remember at the, you know, at the, at, at like when I, right after doing Cape Fear and I had a number of big movies out and I got offered to do a television show and people were shocked that I was going to do this television show, but I was fascinated. I just thought, you know, I want to take advantage of every part of show business. And so I was always fascinated by that. And I think that that goes back to being with my grandfather. I was fascinated by all parts of show business. So I wanted to learn what it was like to be on a sitcom, you know, what all aspects of it, uh, of working in show business are. And I I think that that's, for me, that's the most amazing part is that you can't, you you look at everything I've done and it's like, wow, it's, it's like I've worked with just hundreds of really interesting people. And that has helped me out as I've gotten older because I can, as, as I said, I can talk about them or, you know, there's a lot of different types of genres I've worked in or, you know, because I didn't really have a specific pattern of what I was going to do. No, you're not a typical, like, character actor or... Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I'll get pegged sometimes as being, oh, you know, she's an interesting character actor, but I'm really, I've... You know, I've written and directed documentaries and I've interviewed people and I work now for Turner Classic Movies. I do hosting. I've I've done all sorts of things and I and I also act and I love acting, but I don't think I specifically feel like just a character actor. No. But back in the stand-up comedy days, what was your material? Oh, do you want to hear like a a, a joke of Politically incorrect joke? Well, you don't have to tell one. If you don't feel like, if you remember it, of course that would be cool. Well, I would come out and I'd say something like, uh, you know, here we are. It's, you know, autumn in New York. I love it. You can always tell when it's autumn in New York because the bums begin to turn yellow and fall. It's just, it's just wonderful. You know, there's no seasons in L.A., you know. Pilot season, like those those type of jokes. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I didn't do. I did well actually with my stand up. I had a maybe a likability factor, but the lifestyle for me was just way too difficult. In what way? I mean, I mean first of all, I just couldn't even barely stay up till ten. There was a club that was near my house, so I was like, that was about my level of of effort. And again, my roommate did not think I was funny at all. I would test out my jokes. I'd go, okay, here's what I'm going to say. You know, and I would do my joke. And he'd be like, that is not funny. And yeah. I was like, I think it's funny. Well, it's, <laughs> it's so like hard. delusional. Yeah. <laughs> but I just had the, you know, again, he just had the ability to get up there. But what I didn't like was, again, the pre-nerves before the show. And then after the show, they'd say, all right, well, now you're going to come back at 10. And do. I was like, come back. I'm done. I'm like, you know, I had no desire in like learning how to be a great comic or delivering jokes. I did to me, like to tell 10 things and they laughed was like, well, that's success. That's like, but that was the actor part of me. I wasn't really ever kind of a comic, but then as I got older, I was able again to use that 
skill sometimes of being a, a comedian when I was doing some of these sitcoms because you know you really understand uh, audiences. If I would ask you to tell me what people in your life that have sort of been most instrumental for you as a person, who would they be? Well, I mean, of course, the obvious people are, you know, my my grandfather, but my grandparents had a strong influence on me just in terms of their work ethic. So I saw that. I mean, to watch my grandfather, who is, you know, in his late 70s and 80 you know, working in films and learning lines. It, it's like I, you know, you see the stamina that it takes to have that kind of a, a career. And then obviously early in my career, uh, you know, Martin Scorsese took great, he was really a mentor for me and and gave me a lot of confidence. Again, like just, you know, acknowledge the fact that I knew a lot about movies and he he gave me confidence you know he'd say i he'd say you know you're like a you know you're a born director and you have good instincts and you know when somebody like that says that to you 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 begin to feel it a little bit and then also working with uh gus van zandt like he when we were working on the set like again he we talked we would talk about what shots he was going to use and again i noticed that that other actors they just weren't interested in that they you know they would come to the set and we'd be in the scene and the scene would be great but i would want to know you know as soon as he would talk to the dp i'd say well what do you what are you guys talking about and he'd say oh nothing it's just we're talking about the lens and what i was like oh well, oh there's different lenses oh, yeah, yeah, well, this means this and this. And I was like, oh, that's so fascinating. Like, I was truly, it wasn't a put-on. I was fascinated by every aspect of filmmaking. I was really interested in it, like what the light would do. And I don't know if that, again, comes from reading so much about movies, but I was I was fascinated by the behind the scenes stories as well as the acting on set. I don't know why. I just always had I was really, really interested in like the sound. I'd say, What are you what are you doing? What is that? What does that mean? Or you know I would talk to them about sound or so I got to know every you know, people more and more on the on the set. I remember to die for was the first time I remember wanting to wear a certain thing and I couldn't wear it, and I was sort of disappointed. And then when I got to the set, I said, I get it. We're all in the same color scheme. And I said, I get it. And the room is blue. Okay, all right. So it's not up to me. Like, I want to wear the pink dress. It's like it has nothing to do with that. It's like they're painting a picture. And that was so, I began to understand again. And then that made me like, I felt like I was in the know. I'm like, see, oh, I get it. I know why he's wearing an orange shirt. And I would see that other actors, they had no clue. And so that it just felt like it was like my own little little secret. And then more and more, I just found as I was working, directors would just always be including me. I just found myself always being included in decisions about what the shot was going to be or 
who was sleeping with who, who was fighting with who. It was always, everything would start out like, I really shouldn't be telling you this, but, and I would always be like, but I was the perfect person to tell because I had absolutely no interest in gossip. I was absolutely fascinated in how that made the movie behind the scenes just as interesting as what was being filmed, if not more so. I have a theory that great actors need to be genuinely interested in other people. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's true? I don't think so. Not necessarily only because I I actually feel the opposite. Whereas like, I feel that sometimes great actors are better off, you know, being dumb, you know, just not just doing their thing because it's more like the more you care about other people, I think that you can lead to, you know, being depressed. I think that's why, but that's a natural, I think a natural director's instinct is to create an atmosphere on the set and to, to feel as if you want everybody to be happy. But those are, to me, those are complex feelings where sometimes I think you're better off just, I want to be the hero and, yeah. and having your mind maybe be empty. It's people that think about things and worry about things that are more to me like, you know, the writers or the, the natural directors. I mean, of course, I see what you're saying in terms of caring about people is like a natural pathos. I'm not sure that, that I'm talking about care, really, but interest or fascination because you have to pick stuff from them in order to portray. Let's put it this way. Yeah. My favorite people that I have worked with and that I admire are that way. You can tell that they are interested in the human condition. And the people that I've worked with that are not interested in the human condition, I do not find them as compelling to watch on screen. Uh-huh, okay. I'm thinking also that you must have worked with many quote-unquote, assholes? No, I've been very lucky. Oh, you have? I've been, like, incredibly lucky. I also tend to see the good in people. Yeah. But very few times I have worked with people, you know, not that they're assholes, as you said, but that that they're thinking about other things, that they're, they're doing this movie, but... They're possibly also interested in other things, and they're un and they're unreachable in mm. a way, and that's hard for me because I like to be, you know, interested in the person and and have some form some connection to them because I think it makes the scenes better. And sometimes you meet people, and they're just they're just not going to engage with you. And I so I find that to be challenging. But yet sometimes you see people, and they you know they're they're very famous or they've got other things going on and they're, they just don't have the time to be, to be interested. And I, and I find that hard, you know, but I try to sense that right away early on. I used to get my feelings hurt because I would project like, Oh my God, that person's going to love me. We're going to be doing care. They probably want to read scenes with me. Probably have a scene book out. They'll, they'll want me to be in their next play. They'll probably invite me to their house. I mean, I would have this whole thing projected so that by the time they'd meet the person and they like wouldn't know my name or if I'd been in anything, or I'd be like, I was shocked. I was just like stunned. Are you talking about Robert De Niro now? Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, he was, <laughs> he's, a, he's a person who's obviously 
truly interested in the human condition. It would have been rather interesting if he didn't want to know your your, your real name. Yes, that yeah. would be bad. That would be bad. Yeah, I've found a new favorite question. Yes. So far, I haven't got one single yes. Have you reached your full potential? <sighs> no, I'm almost. I'm. A, but at least I know what it is, and it took me many years to do that to to find my full potential because I had to kind of figure out you know that as i said that both sides of myself and when i wrote this i just finished writing this book which will be out in december people can buy it it's called i blame dennis hopper and it's uh, a life inside and outside movies stories about my working in the movies but it was once i put once i figured out putting both of those sides together i figured things out and then so so now i feel as if i i can get to my true potential i i feel my own theory is that you cannot reach your full potential until you know who you are and sometimes when you're younger as we were talking about you know exactly who you are because life hasn't gotten in the way yet with all sorts of dramas and girlfriends and boyfriends and people die and the, and then what happens is that everything gets cluttered but I feel like when I was very young I knew exactly who I was and exactly what I wanted to do and then life sort of gets in the way for me personally I don't know how other people feel and then it it's taken all these side roads on the road trip of my life. I took all these side trips because I was really wanting to experience a lot of things and now put it all together. And now I, re- I feel like I could certainly reach my full potential. And if I, But if I didn't reach my full potential, I would f- feel like I had a hell of a life. And I think that that's the secondary part of your question is that you really have to feel when you, your head hits the pillow at night, like, ah, I've had, a great, I've had a great life. And that, to me, like, if you feel that, then I feel like that the second part, did I reach my full potential, it becomes not as important. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a very good answer. Thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Wh- what do you have planned ahead? Well, as I said, I I just finished writing this this movie book, and that'll be out in December 15. And then I continue to work on Welcome to Sweden. Yeah, which is really exciting. I'm I'm been trying to push to go get over there one more for our press, and then I I but hopefully the show will do well here too. And now the press comes to you. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, and then I also work for. Turner Classic Movies. I do on-camera hosting. We've got our film festival, which is coming up March 26th. And, That's and going to be over when the, uh, people hear this. When this Sorry. Okay. But well, maybe there's one next year. We do it every year. They can always go to the T- Turner Classic Movies website and Very good. look up people that I've interviewed. Perfect. Yes. And that's it? And... I just finished shooting a TV pilot with a wonderful comedian named George Lopez. Yeah. Fantastic. Very, very funny guy and very interesting and deep. And again, very it's kind of a different thing for me to, to be working with him. And I loved it. It's really interesting. Comedians are fascinating. 
for me. I've heard his name, but I, I can't say that I've seen his comedy. I, I'm not sure if I have. He's had a television. He's had a television show for many years, and his stand-up is kind of in the, I would say, in the tradition of somebody like Richard Pryor. Talks about his ethnicity quite a bit, being a Mexican American, and uh, his childhood. Very interesting childhood, and his comedy is a little is very dark, but very very funny and relatable. And uh, he's a fantastic comedian. Do you have like in terms of being uh, directing stuff? Yes, I do. I have a, a script that I'm, and then I will have reached my full potential <laughs> once I when I've written a script that I'm working on. But I have to take acting jobs, pay the bills. But uh, I have a script that I um, that I want to direct and uh, not be in, just direct. And once I direct that, I will have reached my full potential. And it's going to be fantastic, or I know it's going to be fantastic. Like, the hard part is we'll be getting some financing for it. Yeah, that's always a challenge. But again, is it about you? No, it's about a it's about a relationship with a it's a romantic comedy involving three people. That's all I can tell you. All right, thank you. You're welcome. Would you like to recommend something, anything? Can I say the tea at the Hotel Diplomat in Stockholm? Of course, you can. It's the greatest tea in the world. People should go there for the breakfast. It's like the greatest. This became the subject of many discussions with me and Lena Olin, the bread at the Hotel Diplomat. I don't know. Maybe somebody can tell me out there because I each time I've been there, I swear I'm going to ask the hotel where they get their bread from. And then I forget. But it is the it tastes different than any bread I've ever had in my entire life. And it's huge. It's But like, it's not a flat bread. No, it's like it's gigantic. I mean, the bread is it's like four feet long. It comes okay. like a gigantic loaf of bread and it is and people were making fun of me on the set until they taste then they brought the bread to the set they put it in a scene and everyone's like you know you're right about this bread and then the next morning i got up early and there was everybody from the cast eating the bread and then the director thought it was so funny that he ended up writing a scene in the show where my character is trying to he hides the bread in our suitcase so we can go home so That's what I'd like to recommend. The tea. It's got a very it's a really interesting kind of a mix of tea at the Hotel Diplomat and the bread that they serve for breakfast. Who do you think I should interview on Varvet? Well, I mean, I guess the obvious would be, have you interviewed uh, Will Ferrell? No. He's got Swedish connections. I love him. Can I, you set that up? No. No. <laughs> Amy Poehler. I'd love that as well. Can you set that up? No, I'm not doing. I'm not doing so well. No, well, but that's fine. I'm oh, I know. What about another? He's a famous podcaster, Adam Carolla. That yeah. might be interesting. He just wrote and directed a movie, and he's a very popular podcast. You know, comedian and podcaster. Yeah. That might be good. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for the water. Did you have a good time? I had a great time. You're Swedish. Why could I not have a good time? Ha <laughs> ha!
Yes, that's the laughter of Ileana Douglas. Such a wonderful guest. We had a great time. And if you would like to follow her uh, future endeavors, she seems to be sort of active on Twitter. Her name there is Ileana Rama. And, uh, well, if you Google her name, you'll find that. And if you Google Varvet International, you will probably find the contact information for us as well. So it's time for me to say thank you for the last time to Uber for sponsoring the show. And I'd also like to thank Lovisa Olsson for editing and to Christina Jolling Biro for producing the show. And I should also, of course, thank Greg Poehler for setting us up with the magnificent Ileana Douglas. That was super nice. Thank you very much. And uh, listeners, please uh, send us an email or something. You'll find us on the internet. Talk to you in two weeks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 